Hey, podcast listeners, it's Joe Pastor, the producer. Are you a fan of our podcast? Well, here's a chance to be part of one of our episodes. We have a podcast episode currently in the works where we plan to delve into process safety professionals' personal stories about why they are passionate about process safety, and we'd love to hear from you. So we want to know, why is process safety important to you? Did learning about a major industry incident impact how you felt about process safety? Or did you or someone you know have a firsthand encounter with a catastrophic event or even a near miss? So what can you do if you'd like to contribute to the episode? You can send us your thoughts via email and we will read them during the episode. Or you can record a short voice message using your phone and send it to podcast at amplifyconsultants.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks and hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Amplify Your Process Safety, the podcast that provides the experience and expertise you need when it comes to process safety and risk management. Our hands-on approach will give you the insight needed, whether you're new to industry or process safety, in a role where you interact with aspects of process safety, or an experienced process safety professional. Join us in our mission to protect people, the companies they work for, and the communities where they operate by making process safety knowledge available to all. Hi, podcast listeners, and welcome back to the Amplify Your Process Safety podcast. In today's episode, we've got another incident breakdown for you where we will be discussing another new CSB investigation report. This one was issued on December 29th, 2022, and involves the Husky Superior Refinery in Superior, Wisconsin. Now, the original incident occurred on April 26th of 2018, but today we're going to kind of walk you through the big takeaways from the CSB report. We'll give you some background information, cover what happened, and also provide you with some of our own takeaways that we think will be valuable to you, regardless of what industry you work in. So thanks for joining us, and let's go ahead and get started. Let's go into some background information. So what can you tell us, Molly, about the company Husky Energy? Yeah, so Husky Energy was founded back in 1938 in Canada. They produce heavy oil in Canada and refined it into marketable products like diesel and gasoline and so forth at three different refineries in the U.S., including this one in Superior, Wisconsin, that had the incident. Synovus Energy merged with Husky in early 2021 after this incident happened. So when we get to talking about some recommendations, those would be directed to Synovus. The Superior Refinery was built in 1950, and it was initially owned by Murphy Oil. Like many of these refineries, they tend to get bought and sold numerous times over their lifespan. This particular refinery was sold to Calumet in 2011 and then again to Husky in 2017. So Husky only owned it for a year or so when this incident happened. The refinery, due to its uh, use of flammable materials and other components, is covered under OSHA's PSM and the EPA RMP regulations. Okay, perfect. So walk us through what happened on April 26, 2018. What was going on? Okay, so as background, they were shutting down for a turnaround, which is an extended maintenance window that most refineries do on some frequency. Often it's only every handful of years. 
So they were shutting down their fluid catalytic cracking unit, or FCC, and flammable material got into a section of the equipment which contained oxygen and then ignited. Two vessels exploded, uh, sending metal fragments, some of which went 1,200 feet away. Some of the explosion debris, unfortunately, punctured a nearby asphalt storage tank, which allowed hot asphalt to spill. So not only did they have the incident in the FCC unit that caused explosions, but secondarily, they had this asphalt tank spill and the asphalt tank where it was punctured was high enough that the material spilling out escaped the containment berm and then started spreading through several production units where it caught fire and exacerbated the entire incident, unfortunately. Right. And this was a huge tank. The CSB did put out animation of the incident that we'll link to, but this was not a small amount of hot asphalt. So it definitely created quite a mess afterwards, especially when it caught fire, like you mentioned. So some of the resulting consequences were that 36 refinery and contract workers were injured. And I'm sure many of these injuries were due to the explosion because it did mention that debris was flying through the air everywhere since it it broke into such small pieces. And there were also concerns about smoke from the fire and also potential for a hydrofluoronic acid to be released um, because yeah. that was also H- stored. Hydrofluoric acid. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, hydrofluoric acid to be released um, because that was also stored on site. And so 2,500 residents were evacuated and there was a shelter in place order for other residents nearby. Um, and it was interesting because that hydrofluoric acid tank uh, was actually closer to the initial explosion of the vessels than that asphalt tank was. So that was lucky. (laughs) Yeah, so these refineries that have hydrofluoric acid, that is a very concerning chemical to be handling. And we will have another incident breakdown podcast covering a different refinery Philadelphia Energy Solutions that talks a lot more about the hazards of hydrofluoric acid. Right, right. And then in addition to the injuries and the evacuations and shelter-in-place orders, there was also $550 million in property damage, so quite a lot. And they also released 39,000 pounds of a flammable hydrocarbon vapor mixture during the whole event. So also right. quite substantial. Very, very significant impacts. They were very fortunate that there were no fatalities, but otherwise right. it hit all the buckets, unfortunately. Right, definitely true. So as you mentioned before, this took place during a shutdown. So this seems to be a common theme in a lot <laughs> of these incident breakdowns. So what can you tell us about how shutdowns are just so much more problematic right. than other types of operations. Yeah, all, all of these transients, whether it be a shutdown or a startup or some unusual circumstances like trying to deal with a steam outage or a power failure or something along those lines, these situations are very fraught with a lot of potential hazards because you're not within your normal operating ranges all the time. You're transitioning, you're starting up, you're shutting down. So you're running through various pressures and temperatures with the process. In addition, these 
startups and shut down, these transient operations are less frequent. As I mentioned earlier, a lot of these refineries may only do a turnaround every handful of years, every three years, five years, something like that. So the operators are not as familiar with the transitions, the operating procedures, and the precautions that need to be taken. With that said, they're not as familiar with it, but also because you're transitioning, a lot of times facilities rely on operator actions to control these hazards. They can't necessarily have automated shutdowns and interlocks and things like that if their pressures and temperatures are transiting a wide range. So they're relying on these operators to take specific actions and do things in a particular order which is a less robust form of safeguard. It's lower on the hierarchy of controls. You prefer to have a lot of those things automated. And during startups and shutdowns, a lot of times you just can't do that. Lastly, something very specific to this FCC unit or this type of unit is that they have a slide valve that's an isolation. It's not a tight shutoff valve like you prefer to have for isolation. It's more of like a knife gate. And unfortunately, because you've got solid catalyst that's going past this slide gate routinely, it had eroded at this Husky facility. And so the operators closed it. But unfortunately, even though it was in the closed position, it was not fully closed. And that led to these problems because that valve was eroded. Right. And there's good animation of that specific part of the process in the animation video the CSB put out. It shows the isolation valve being slid closed, like you said, but then you can see the catalyst still running through the part that's been eroded. So just to layer in, there were a couple other safeguards that are discussed in the report. So we invite you to go look at those further there if you're interested in reading more about them. But the report also discusses the reactor steam barrier, which is a way that you can control the pressure. What is typically done on these FCC units when they go to shut down is that they inject a significant amount of steam to keep the pressure profile organized correctly so that they prevent the flammables from getting in with the oxygen. And Husky did not implement that steam barrier, which is a fairly common safeguard for the FCC units. Right. And then they also didn't properly purge the main column overhead receiver. So the report talks about the main column gas purge um, as another safeguard that could have been used that purge, it's trying to keep a positive flow out of the system so that you don't have oxygen accumulating in that area. And so again, that's a typical safeguard. Unfortunately, Husky was only relying on the slide gate and not multiple other safeguards layered on top of it. That's a good point to make that they kind of had all their eggs in one basket. They didn't have multiple layers of protection against this situation, even though, as you mentioned, these other safeguards that we listed are very common across industry for this type of operation. So that kind of leads us into our next 
contributing factor, I would say, which is the lack of knowledge. So what can you tell us about that, Molly? How did yeah, that lack so, of knowledge play um, out? Interestingly enough, shortly before this incident happened, the CSB had issued another investigation report uh, less than a year prior on an ExxonMobil refinery in Torrance, California, that had a problem with their FCC unit. And it was a very similar situation, not an exact match, but very close. And what everybody hopes is that people learn from these prior incidents, whether it be from CSB reports or other industry committees, conferences, things of that sort, or internal company technology exchanges so that you don't have to keep repeating the same problems over and over again. And unfortunately, the Husky refinery personnel did not fully understand and interpret the learnings from that prior CSB investigation. Right. And there's actually a great quote from the report. It's in the executive summary that I thought would be appropriate here just to kind of elaborate on what you mean by them not understanding that incident and what it meant at their site as far as learnings. So it says the workforce appeared to understand that flammable hydrocarbons had flowed from the ExxonMobil Torrance refinery's main column into the regenerator and exploded in the electrostatic precipitator, but they did not recognize that the reverse air flowing into hydrocarbon systems downstream of the main column was also possible. So thought that was really interesting that they included that note specifically that the CSB included that in their report because it just goes to show that if you're going to learn from a past incident, you really need to make sure that you're clear about who it applies to and what other mm-hmm. scenarios you know you maybe should right. be thinking about. So definitely a missed exactly. opportunity to learn from that yes. previous incident. And other opportunities that are out there are engagement with other refineries, whether it be within your same company or elsewhere in the industry. There are a lot of technical exchanges available, and at Husky, those were optional. They were not pushed very strongly. That's a great opportunity to learn when you participate in those industry technical exchanges. So that was a missed opportunity. As we talked about, those types of learning opportunities would have perhaps given them an opportunity to understand some of these other common safeguards for FCC units in addition to the slide valve that they should have been utilizing. Finally, the licensor of the FCC unit technology. So a lot of these typical production type units in refineries they get the technology licensed from another company and the licensor may sell that same technology to multiple refineries and multiple different companies, as was the case here for this FCC unit. And when the licensor develops that technology, they provide a lot of good information about the design, the intended safeguards, the proper operation, the hazards and how to deal with them. Unfortunately, the Husky facility didn't fully incorporate that information from the licensor into their own 
process safety information library, their operating procedures, their training, and so forth. They didn't utilize subject matter experts to review their SOPs, their standard operating procedures, especially when it came to these transient operations of startup and shutdown to make sure that they were following the guidance from the licensor. One example is that the licensor specifically instructed them that the regenerator should be always maintained at a higher pressure to keep those flammable vapors from mixing with the oxygen. And unfortunately, Husky's SOP at the time directed the operators to have a pressure profile exactly opposite of that, where the regenerator was at the lowest pressure, which is what contributed to this when that slide gate valve leaked. Right. And I thought that was really interesting that it was the exact opposite in their SOPs than in the literature from the unit licensor. So very interesting there. You mentioned PHAs and incorporating information about the FCC unit from the licensor. So what do we know about their PHA, at least the one that they had done prior to the incident? Yeah, so they did a PHA as they're required to do. Unfortunately, it didn't really evaluate the hazards associated with these transient operations like the shutdown. When you have a unit like this, like so many in a refinery, where they run at steady state for vast majority of the time, it's easy on a PHA to just evaluate that normal operation mode. But as we talked about, a lot of your hazards and a lot of the incidents happen during a startup and shutdown. So you need to really ensure that your PHA evaluates those transient modes, not just your normal operation. And so their PHA did not adequately look over that shutdown operation. Also, the PHA didn't consider the potential that the slide gate valve could erode and may not do its job to isolate. In other words, the PHA assigned too much credit to that slide valve as a safeguard. And they should have taken into account the fact that those valves handling solid catalysts are known to erode and have problems staying closed. And then some other contributing factors that we wanted to point out included the fabrication of the vessels that exploded. Both of those vessels were from an older grade of steel, which is subject to brittle fracture, and that grade of steel is no longer recommended for that use. Um, Of course, this is probably due to the fact that the refinery was built in 1950, so the age of the facility Mm -hmm. determined what those vessels were made out of at the time. And then the report does note that newer grades of steel that are recommended for that type of use now mm-hmm. would have still ruptured in the situation that happened, but they probably wouldn't have sent shrapnel flying across the facility. They <laughs> would have, instead of you know, exploding into hundreds of pieces of metal debris, they would have ruptured by ductile fracture, so tearing open like a zipper or a fish mouth. So like we said, this is just a contributing factor to right. how 
bad it was that it was already exploding, you know, because yep. of course this is what caused the hot asphalt to start spilling. Right. So. Kind of like with, uh, you know, automobiles, you know, the windshields used to break and turn into lots of shards of glass. And we've since learned that that's not a great idea. So now they've got safety glass to where they spider web, but they don't actually turn into shrapnel. Same thing goes for these pieces of equipment. If they had been of a better grade of steel, they would just rip open, release the pressure, but not send pieces of shrapnel all over the place. Yeah, this one I think is a difficult one because as standards get better, you're not always required to retrofit exactly um your vessels. So, so and it's expensive to do so, but definitely mm-hmm. something to think about in an aging facility. Right. And it's something that you could take into account in your PHAs, perhaps, if your guidance says, oh, well, you know, we'll have a rupture and we, you know, open up a flange or something like that. And we've got that pressure release. If you're talking about older pieces of equipment that may turn into shrapnel, perhaps you should consider that that consequence could be somewhat worse. Right. Right. Good to point out. So that brings us to the recommendations. So the CSB had quite a few recommendations Mm -hmm. towards quite a few different audiences. So we're going to just provide a brief summary here of kind of the main buckets that each of those recommendations fall into. We do invite you again to go read the report for more details, but we thought we would provide this summary for Mm -hmm. you. So we will kick off uh, with the recommendations that were aimed toward the refinery itself. So first is to establish safeguards to prevent explosions during transient events such as this. Second is to develop a mechanical integrity program to address erosion and proper functioning of the slide valve during a shutdown. They also recommend that they develop emergency procedures to respond properly to a malfunctioning slide valve during a shutdown since it Mm -hmm. didn't seem like those emergency procedures existed. They also recommend that the PHAs evaluate transient operations. Like we said, they had not previously included that in their evaluation. They also recommend incorporating best practices based on the FCC licensor and industry guidance, two things that we already said were lacking in this case, and then also to incorporate lessons learned from this incident into training for the refinery emergency response team. And we'll talk a little bit about the emergency response at the end, but it's definitely always good to take what happens Mm -hmm. and to learn from it. So that's what the CSB recommended essentially to the refinery. Right. And then the next audience for the recommendations was the Synovus Corporation. As we said, the refinery was owned by Husky at the time, and it has since been taken over by Synovus. Their recommendation was to develop PHA guidance, specifically for FCC units, but probably be good to do for all uh, refinery units, but to look at how to properly consider the licensor and industry guidance, especially when it comes to transient operating modes, and make sure that those are adequately covered in the PHA, and implement a technology-specific knowledge sharing network across the company, and make sure that those licensors' technical information is incorporated into the PSI and the operating procedures. 
Right. And then similar to one of those suggestions or findings to Synovus was actually to OSHA to provide guidance, you know, to everyone in industry on conducting PHAs on operating procedures to address transient operating modes. So to just make sure that those in industry know how to properly evaluate hazards during transient operating modes. So CCPS has some guidance on that. But OSHA guidance is not as detailed. And so I think CSB wanted them to beef up that requirement a little bit more, especially if companies were not following the CCPS information. And then there was also a recommendation to the EPA, right, Molly? Yeah, so the EPA, they suggested that they develop an inspection program to prioritize review of refineries, especially that have hydrofluoric alkylation units, that's where the hydrofluoric acid comes into play, not the FCC, but ensure that if there's a refinery that has a HF alkylation unit, to ensure that their FCC units incorporate the best practice safeguards and they've got adequate SOPs and training. This kind of dovetails with some of the recommendations from another CSB report recently on the Philadelphia Energy Solutions. This kind of dovetails with those recommendations to EPA to enhance their RMP program and audits for any refineries without HF alkyl units. And then there were also a few recommendations to API, and those included develop a publicly available technical publication, which includes information about the hazards and recommended safeguards for operating these FCC units, you know, which goes to what we mentioned before. There were other mm-hmm. industry adopted safeguards that this unit did not have in place. They also recommend to the API to update recommended practice documents to include information about the design, testing, and maintenance of slide valves in FCC service, because of course that was a really big contributing factor here, that that slide valve was eroded and not able to work as designed. And then the third recommendation to the API was to incorporate lessons learned from this incident in relevant guidance documents regarding the ignition risks of asphalt, because That was definitely the end result of the explosion. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, the firefighting teams were able to handle this a lot faster than other asphalt fires, according to this report and to the video. But it had the potential to be a a very long, like days long fire um, when that asphalt ignited. Right. And then finally, there was one more recommendation to Honeywell, which put together that FCC technology for them, and they would like them to actively participate in this recommended API committee, uh, developing that publication for safe operation of FCC units. So that was a summary of all of the recommendations. So what do we want to cover last here, Joe? So now we're going to zoom out for the big picture. So you may be at a facility that does not resemble this Husky refinery in any way, but there are still some key learnings from this incident that you can think about and consider how well you've implemented these or thought about these features of a strong process safety program at your facility. So Mm -hmm. we just want to provide kind of some key reminders here that we think are important to point out. So the first is related to process safety information. So why do we include that one here, Molly? 
Yeah, so as we've talked about numerous times, Husky licensed this FCC technology from another company, and they provided a lot of detailed technical information, and that should be part of the process safety information for the process. Other facilities either may get similar licensed technology, like these folks did, or they may buy a skid unit for a particular process operation. It could be like a compressor skid or some sort of water treatment skid, a whole variety of things that could be bought from another vendor. Make sure that any of that technical information on the equipment, the operations, the safeguards, the instrumentation, all gets rolled in with the rest of your process safety information library. Right, because it's valuable too, to not just have it, but to use it especially in, as you mentioned before, your PHAs, for example. Right. It um, doesn't do any good to to leave it in the binder that the vendor provided in some purchasing office. It needs to be in with the rest of your technical information. Right, right. And then another learning that we thought was valuable from this incident was just that operating procedures and training are really important, Mm -hmm. especially for like you mentioned, these transient operations like a startup or turnaround or shutdown, especially because they rely heavily on lots of manual maneuvers from operators. So having a really strong training program for your operators, having very clear procedures that do incorporate, you know, any Mm -hmm. PSI you have from vendors, like you mentioned, that's just really important. So it's worth thinking about your own operating procedures and your current training that you have in place, especially if you've got very infrequent turnarounds like this refinery did. And moreover, if you have the potential for very significant problems during a startup or shutdown, not only do you want to have that in your operating procedures and general training, but you really should consider doing some drills and walkthroughs of those unfrequent SOPs so that the operators understand how the steps go, what to expect, and how that should play out, even though they may not have done it before or they may not have done it for several years. Right. That's a good point. It kind of leads us into our next bullet for this, which is emergency response. And like you said, we included that because Part of that is the operator's response to Mm -hmm. something that's happening, like you said, especially in high risk types of operations, you want to make sure that the there are clear steps for the operator. Well, if this starts happening, you know, what can they do to mitigate the situation? But we also included this because it's important if you've got the potential for a large incident such as this to make sure that your people are trained in emergency response. Thankfully, there were no casualties from this incident, Mm -hmm. and they had a good relationship with local firefighters who were able to put out the fire, and they seemed prepared to fight this type Mm -hmm. of fire. So a lot of good things in that regard, but it's just worth looking at your own emergency response procedures and making sure that you are adequately prepared, you know, in the worst case scenario that something happens that you can make sure that you are minimizing the consequences Mm -hmm. by just being prepared. Right, exactly. Especially if you're anticipating relying on some third party, like your local fire department or your EMTs, if they're not in-house personnel that you're responsible for training, 
make sure you coordinate with them. One other item is to learn from industry, learn from past incidents. We're sharing a lot of these CSB reports and our takes on them. Definitely look at the CSB incident reports themselves and their videos. Use those as learning tools. Also, where you can participate and actively take advantage of any industry conferences and get-togethers where you can share learnings with other facilities, other companies that are in your same industry and learn from them. We don't want to keep repeating these incidents with loss of life or injuries or property damage if we can help it. And then last, we just want to reiterate, because I know we've mentioned it several times, but one thing we can really learn from this accident is that being aware of the hazards related to transient operations can really help us to manage the risk better. So again, if there are operations at your facility that happen infrequently, whether that be, you know, once a year up to once every several years, wow, that's mm-hmm. very infrequent. You know, make sure that you've got adequate procedures, adequate training. You know, you may have changed lots of staff in that time. So definitely worthwhile thinking about how can we make sure that those infrequent operations go as smoothly as possible. And Um, those um, transient operations, if I I haven't actually run the numbers, but I suspect if you looked at all of the CSB incident reports that they have published, the majority would be associated with these types of transient operations, startups, shutdowns. Those tend to be the most catastrophic times for something to go wrong. Yeah, that does seem to be a common theme that we are seeing across these incident investigations. So in closing, if you've got a comment about something we covered this week, or you have an idea for a future episode or a question about anything process safety related, we would love to hear from you. You can send us a voice message. We've got a link in our episode description. You can also send us a voice message just by recording on your phone, and we could use it in a future podcast episode. We can also receive emails from you. We'd love to hear from you and answer your questions there or on the show. That email address is podcast at amplifyconsultants.com. Yes, and so this is just one of a few podcast episodes that we've been doing. We're starting to review all of these CSB incident investigations, and you can search these on our website by typing in incident breakdown, because those will be the CSB incident reports. We appreciate the excellent work that the CSB does in investigating these process safety incidents and providing informative reports and often videos of these incidents. And we're trying to do our part to help ensure that these learnings are widely distributed so others can avoid similar incidents. If you want further details on this incident and many others, go ahead and visit the CSB website at CSB. And we will definitely link in this episode description to this specific report and to the animation that the CSB put out about this incident. But like Molly said, lots of great resources at csb.gov and you can look at all of their released reports and they have released quite a bit recently. So you've got lots of content there. 
And finally, our goal at Amplify Process Safety is to save lives by partnering with companies that handle highly hazardous chemicals to create world-class process safety systems, as it is our firm belief that these systems will help to prevent catastrophic incidents like fires, explosions, and toxic releases. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us if we can help guide you on your process safety journey. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be safe out there. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Amplify Your Process Safety. Head to our website, AmplifyConsultants.com, to find our show notes and other resources. Thank you for joining us in our mission to ultimately save lives by advancing process safety right here on Amplify Your Process Safety. Until next time.